Welcome to the HCC Podcast. Our mission is to nurture love for God, love for self, and love for others as the highest goal of humanity. May the following message nurture that love in your life. And remember, you're always welcome at HCC. It's a perfect church for less than perfect people. Peace. This weekend, I am continuing our series on the history of the world. It might sound like it's going to be a very, very long sermon series, but it's actually not. It's only four parts. This is the second part today. The series is a twofold strategy, so let me explain. The first point or fold of that strategy is to provide people who are honestly exploring faith. And my hunch is that there are folks online today and folks in this sanctuary that are curious about faith. They're not exactly sure what they think about it in its entirety, but they want to know more. And that's the first point of this particular strategy. Those folks that are honestly exploring faith, that I want to provide them a clear summary of Christianity. And number two, the second fold of that strategy, is to provide Christians a clear summary of Christianity for the sake of sharing your faith with your loved ones and your friends. So if you will pay attention to these four chapters and you will condense them down in what you heard me say, the first chapter, second chapter, third chapter, fourth chapter, then you will be able to probably share the whole gospel message, the whole history of God's story with humanity in about five minutes. You could actually draw it out on a napkin in a restaurant and just say, this is, this is the story, man. This is the story of the Christian faith. And so this summary that I'm talking about is in four parts or chapters. Last week we looked at chapter one the way it was, perfect. Today is chapter two the way it is, broken. The way it was, perfect. The way it is, broken. And everything since this second chapter is God's plan to redeem and restore the world to that original perfection. God's got a plan. Original plan, yes, today we learn that we broke it, but he's got chapter three and four coming behind chapter two in order to bring it all full circle. In fact, Jesus prayed as much in the Lord's Prayer, so let's start here Today, let's say this together, you that are online and you in the sanctuary. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sinfulness as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now last week, we had worship night at 6 p.m. in the sanctuary. We do that once a month. And we collect prayer requests from our youth group, from our children's ministry, and from our, all our adult ministries. And as I was coming up and collecting those prayer requests and praying for them and then putting them back in a basket and getting more, and I stumbled across a particular prayer request from our children's department that I thought was profound. And this child wrote on their prayer request in unmistakable childlike handwriting on the prayer request side. It said, prayer request, 
colon, and then it left room for the child to write. And the child scrawled in crayon, I request an inflatable T-Rex suit. <laughs> and I thought, wow, this, this kid's got faith. <laughs> and, then, and then on the back of it, I turned it over to the praise side of it, and it said, praise report, colon, then it left room, and again, scrawled in crayon, I praise God for an inflatable T-Rex suit. This is a child that understands how to get his point across. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it positively, and I'm going to ask with all my heart that this occurs. I'm telling you, that was just fantastic sense of faith. I don't, want, I don't know what Pastor Julie is teaching those kids up there, but something's going right. They know how to petition God. But, but here's, here's the other issue there about how we envision God. Recently, uh, well, not too recently, about probably a year and a half or so ago, uh, I was with someone at lunch, a person who had been a part of our church for a very long time, you know, many, many years, a part of this church and other churches. And they said to me, you know, I'm not quite sure I believe in prayer anymore. In fact, I don't, I don't really pray. And as we talked about that and discussed that, they said, I don't really pray because I've actually only received less than 50% of all the stuff I've prayed for. And it's really, why waste my time if I'm not going to get those things that I'm looking for? Now, listen carefully. Think about that. If this kid from the children's ministry department continues petitioning God in the same way, and they get to be 80 years old, they may in fact look back and say, I didn't get that T-Rex suit or much else. Why pray? You might be asking that question yourself. What's the use of prayer? Why should I pray? Is God really there? How do you envision God? And that's really the question that I'm asking. That's the provocative question that these two stories of a little child and an older person to bringing to me, the pastor, is how do you envision God? A jolly Santa Claus with a, a sack of gifts on his back? An ambiguous force out there somewhere? A cosmic police officer waiting to pounce a never-satisfied cosmic grouch that you can never seem to please? A liberal nice God who just wants everyone to be happy and everyone to do them and speak their truth? Anything they want? How do you view God? How do you think about God? A.W. Tozer, a great theologian and Bible scholar and great Christian thinker, said this, how you think about God is the most important thinking you will ever do as a human being. How you think about God is the most important thinking you will ever do as a human being. What do you think about God? This series is designed to provoke your thinking about God. That most important thinking. Last weekend I talked about chapter 1 of the history of the world titled, The Way It Was. The big idea of that sermon was that the Christian faith story of creation is totally unique among creation stories. 
of every world religion. And every world religion has a creation story. But the biblical creation story is unique among all other creation stories of all other world religions or any ancient Near Eastern culture. Yes, all faith traditions are not equal. Many people say, isn't it just true that all religions are the same? What's the difference? Pick one and go with it. Who cares? They're all the same. Nothing could be further from the truth. The biblical creation story stands in sharp contrast to all other creation stories. I went over this in detail last week and also going to go over it in detail this coming Wednesday at the Midweek Oasis. In those particular stories... Those other creation stories of other ancient Near Eastern religions or contemporary world religions, all of them are born out of conflict and betrayal and self-service. All of them are rooted in a sense of performance. And in all of them, except the biblical creation story, humans were created to serve the gods as slaves or pawns in their petty dramas. Only the ancient Near Eastern creation story of the Bible tells of a loving God who creates out of want, not out of need. Where love and partnership is the motivating force behind creation. No other world religion or ancient Near Eastern creation story comes close to the biblical narrative of God-human love and partnership. So here's this mini-series in breakdown, the history of the world. Chapter 1, the way it was, perfect. Chapter 2, the way it is, broken. Chapter 3, the way it can be, restored in part. Chapter 4, the way that it will be, restored in full. Chapter 2, the way it is. Whereas last week we had to use our imaginations to visualize chapter 1 because it was perfect and who knows what perfect really looks like? We can only imagine what perfect really looks like or, or what we would experience as perfect the way that it was. This week, we need, need no imagination whatsoever because we are living chapter 2. We are living in the way that it is. We are all too familiar with the way it is, and that is broken. No one would say, I'm sure no one here or anyone online would say that the world as it currently is, is a perfect place. You'd have to be high to even entertain such a silly idea. However, there is a strong, enlightenment age-fueled progressive philosophy that still underlies much of today's humanistic philosophy and way of living. It's born out of the age of enlightenment, born out of what we call modernity, the modern age, that somehow, someway, we can fix everything. We as human beings have everything we need to make everything perfect again. Let me read it like this. The general idea of current progressivism is in, in fact this. The world is broken and we, humanity, can fix it. That's the notion of progressivism. But everyone is going to have to do what we, progressives, tell them in order to fix it. So get in line. 
and do what we progressives say. And then we'll progress as a human race and in our evolution solve all the medical, social, economic, moral, and political issues of our world. Progressivism is rooted in the modern idea that we humans have all the smarts and all the ingenuity to make the world perfect. We can do this is the notion underlying all of this philosophy. We don't need anyone or anything beyond ourselves to make life here perfect. I have a friend, and don't ask me, who it is. I'm, I'm refusing to tell you. My lips are sealed. This, this anonymous, anonymous friend often makes this statement. A human's capacity for self-delusion is almost limitless. I don't know who said that. It's a good friend of mine. I would never betray a good friend. The idea that humans can fix all their problems themselves is a self-perpetuating delusional feedback loop. Surely we realize now that after all of the massive advances in science and social issues from the 18th and 19th and 20th centuries, that those advances were all followed and all concurrent with two world wars, a holocaust, nationwide genocide campaigns, terrorism, economic meltdowns over and over and over again, and all the epidemics and pandemics that we've experienced in those hundred years. How could we possibly fix this by ourselves if with all those advancements we haven't been able to make a dent? Most people can't fix even their marriage problems or their parenting problems. Most people can't get their pets to obey. But somehow we think we can solve all the globe's problems? This is a, a self-deluding feedback loop that we've got in our minds. It's an ideology that's born out of the illusion from modernism, from the enlightenment, that somehow, someway, we can muster our skill and ability and we've got all the answers right in here and right in here. And nothing could be further from the truth and it's been proven for decade after decade after decade. According to the Veritas Forum, the vast majority of atheist scientists believe in the intelligent design theory of creation. That there's no way we could come to this moment in complexity and creation without some intelligent force being behind it in some way. And that really means that there is an intelligence beyond ourselves. That's what they're saying. That Scientists are now realizing, political scientists and physical scientists are realizing we really can't fix this with just ourselves. Yet on a personal and global level, we, perhaps you and at times me, still think that somehow we are gods ourselves and that we can fix what's beyond us. The truth is we just can't perfect our world by ourselves. Simply put, secularization has failed. Secularization has simply failed. 
Secularization is the notion that if we can somehow get rid of God and get rid of faith and recognize that there is nothing beyond us, then we'll be able to accomplish what we need to. Secularization has failed. It's almost a pervasive admission in all understanding in academia today. We can't fix us. Here's where the Christian faith is really, really honest. Let's take a look at the biblical understanding of how we got here and why we are here. Remember, chapter 1, everything was perfect. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. But then came Genesis 3, where we broke everything, and now we have a broken world. Listen to how we broke the world. The God who loves you says these words. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. The God of the Bible created out of love and want, not out of conflict and need. Yet, the God of the Bible loves with boundaries. Hear that. The God of the Bible loves with boundaries. The distinction that these boundaries make keep the order of the relationship clear. I am God, you are not. Anybody confused? I am God, you are not. I am the source of life. With me, you have life. Without me, you are dead. Don't ever, God says, the God who loves us says, don't ever attempt to be God. If you do, you will die. I say boundaries, but I really mean boundary. I mean, my Lord, there was only one. It was just one. I wish parenting my kids, I could have had just one rule instead of a million. The rule is this, respect my position as God and my love for you enough to obey me. My kids used to complain all the time, seriously, why do you get to set the rules? And I would say, because I'm the parent. I loved them with boundaries. This was freedom. Freedom for me to love them well by providing boundaries and choices that would give them blessing and life and prosperity. They were free to love me and and by loving me obey my boundaries or not. They could express love or not love by their obedience or disobedience. God has set before you today the very same freedom. Choose life with God or death without God. Listen carefully to this. Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is, what, this is the summarization, a later summarization of how the folks of the Old Testament understood the creation experience. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. There's a choice. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying Him and holding fast to Him, for that means life to you. In so many words, I preach this every day to my kids growing up. 
Every day God was setting before them a choice. Every day God is still setting before you a choice. When you woke up this morning, there was a choice. There is a choice right now in this moment. There is a choice tomorrow. And God is setting before you a life of prosperity or a life of death and adversity. To die is to reject the life-giving spirit of God and to devolve in something less than human. Any human without the life-giving spirit of God in them is dead. We've gone over that many, many times. Speaking about the creation experience in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The Garden of Eden was a symbol of life with God. A continual state of flourishing. Outside of Eden was understood as death because God wasn't there. A continual state of decay. If you'll read Genesis 3, I'm not going to do it here, it's way too much, but if you'll read Genesis 3 for the full story of how we chose death and decay over life and flourishing, you'll see the picture come together. Are you choosing that same without God life right now. God didn't break the world. We did. We're here in this comprehensive brokenness because we refused to live with God as our God. We wanted to be God ourselves. This is what the Bible calls original sinfulness. This sinfulness didn't just break our relationship with God, but broke how all of God's creation works. Every day, you and I are confronted with the results of our sinfulness by living in this broken world that we broke. In every day walking around life, you experience that everything is broken. Let me just run through some of them. Exhaust fumes, hunger, tiredness, Fading eyesight, bad hair days, flat tires, bathrooms, thirst, anger, hate, trash day, disappointment, traffic, poor Wi-Fi signal, tooth decay, deodorant, computer virus protection, etc., etc., etc. Every single day, all day long, you are confronted with the reality that we broke this world and we got what we wanted. God said, you live with me, perfect. You live without me, broken. Listen to the God who loves you describe this notion of how the world and we are responding to this. Romans 8.20 Against its will, speaking of creation, the cosmos, nature, against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation, the cosmos, looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning. That, that word right there is related to childbirth. When my wife was delivering our children, she was really annoying everyone in the room. By all of that groaning stuff going on, you know, it was like, we couldn't concentrate very well because she was always, you know, in doing all this groaning. I mean, that's the same kind of word that Paul is using, this, this incredible, wrenching, 
pain. All creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan. He's just saying in your gut, can you not feel the brokenness? In your gut, can you not just feel how wrong it is? How wrong things are? Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and from suffering. Goodness gracious, all of creation, including you and me, is groaning in the brokenness of our world. Now here's the really big idea of this sermon. For whatever divine reason, and that's above your pay grade and my pay grade, because I've got plenty of people who would say to me, yeah, well, how come God created that way? That doesn't make sense to me. Again, he's God, you're not. Just, just that's, that's the boundary, Remember? For whatever divine reason, the God of the Bible created a world with the potential for perfection or imperfection. God gave humans responsibility to preserve perfection or provoke imperfection. This is pure freedom. And doesn't our culture crave that today? Doesn't our culture demand that today? Don't put anything on us. Don't oppress us. We want freedom. And that's exactly how God created the world. But he said just, just, just one thing. Just one thing, don't ever try to be God. Always live with me and you will be perfect as creation is perfect. This is pure freedom, the freedom to choose. Humanity chose to provoke imperfection and we got just what we wanted. The Christian understanding of the way that it is is that this is the way we wanted it. We broke the world. God, in fact, stacked the deck for perfection. It would have been easier to perpetuate perfection than to provoke imperfection. It was just don't do that one thing. It was easier to perpetuate perfection than provoke imperfection, but yet we chose a life without God. And perhaps that's exactly the kind of life you're choosing right now, a life without God. It was us alone who broke the world, and it is only God who can fix it. I don't know how we ever got in our mind that somehow we could fix it. Somehow we took up the arrogant position that, that we ourselves could somehow fix this broken world and correct all the politics and correct all the economics and correct all the physical world and the relational world, and somehow we could do it all because we still somehow think that we are God. But God invites us to be part of the solution rather than continue to be part of the problem. And that comes sur to, to surrendering our sense of godness for his reality of God. Remember, the problem is living without God. The solution is living with God. Do you want to live with God? Listen to Dr. Harry Hane, professor of New Testament through him, i.e. Christ, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Colossians 1.20. 
Since God's plan for redemption is a cosmic, is cosmic, as believers grow more like Christ, their actions should have a positive impact not only on other people, but also on the whole of God's creation. God's priority is on human redemption. But since humanity is God's agent in caring for nature, do you remember that? I talked about that a couple weeks ago. That Genesis 1, 26 through 28, God partnered with us and said, you are going to help me run and rule this earth. That that mandate is still the same today. God's agent of caring for nature. When humanity is restored to a right relationship with God, the rest of creation will also be restored to God's intended operation. The important thing here to recognize is that you choose today to perpetuate the problem of brokenness by living without God or participate in the solution of healing by living with God in every area of your life. You are called to redeem the little garden of Eden of your life. How are you doing gardening your soul? Which is that garden of Eden that you have control over right now? How are you doing gardening your mind your emotions, your will, your social relationships. How are you doing gardening that, creating that space, that, that Edenic type space, using all of those memory traces of Eden in you and all of the restorative features of a life with Christ, a life with God, to create a little Eden type space so that when people come into your world, it's like they're coming out of one kingdom into another kingdom. You're gardening this life. You're cultivating this life of, of Eden where folks find Eden-like behavior, where folks find Eden-like attitudes, where folks find Eden-like joy and peace and flourishing. This is the result of living a life with God, that your garden bursts forth in all manner of fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, long-suffering, and self-control. These are the fruits of the Garden of Eden in your little life that when you cultivate a life with God, more and more you produce these fruits and this is redemptive in a world of brokenness. Make a decision today to live with God in every area of your life. You may have certain sections of your garden that are doing really well, but what about the sections of your life that are dying because you've not invited God into that? You've not invited God into your sexuality. You've not invited God into your money. You've not invited God into your work. You've not invited God into your speech and your thinking. All of these areas will remain dead and overgrown, needing to be weeded and fertilized and cultivated as a life with God. And as you invite God into all of these spaces of your little garden life, and you and God garden together, you will see more and more fruit produced more and more joy, more and more peace. Make a decision to live with God, and as you do, you will begin to resemble more and more the person and the life you were originally intended to be. If you'd like to do that right now, in person or online, I want to invite you to take a moment and pause with me.
and just pray that prayer of repentance. What does that mean? The prayer of repentance just simply means I'm going to stop living without God and I'm going to start living with God in every area of my life. Maybe as a, if you're not a believer in Christ, maybe you're saying for the first time, you're turning yourself towards God, a life with God. If you are a Christian, maybe you're saying, you know, I live with God, but only in certain areas. There's only certain rooms in my life, certain areas of my garden that I allow God into. But I've got sections that are all just partitioned off from God. I want to break those partitions down. I want to invite you right now to pray with me. So wherever you are, online or in person, would you just close your eyes and reflect on where you are with God? Whether a Christian or not a Christian, right now is your opportunity to repent. So own this prayer. Say these words. You grab my words and use them as your own in any way you want. God will know what you mean. Dear God, I've been living my life without you. I haven't really thought much about you. I I just pretty much think about myself and what I want. And so I've been living like I was God. I don't want to live like that anymore. I want to get the order of the relationship straight again. I want you to be God. I want you to be creator. And I will be the creature. So right now, God, I'm praying the power of your Holy Spirit, please help me to turn my life in every area towards living with you rather than without you. I am grateful for your gift of Jesus so that even though the world's not like it was and it is broken as it is, it doesn't have to remain that way. Thank you for Jesus that he makes a way for me to be like I was always created to be. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.